0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito, are all ready for this? Man. On WCPT 820.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Well, you made it through another week. And uh, unless you uh, live in a very snowy area, the bomb cyclone probably didn't impair things too much. Uh, the wind and the snow seem to have abated, at least in our area. It's certainly uh, going full tilt out east. Now we just have to deal with the cold. The very, <laughs> the very very cold. Um, when Ray took the dog out this morning, he looked at his little app and it said, well, with windshield, wind chill, it is now um, negative 30 degrees in your backyard. Oh, okay. Ray was very chilly, but the dog was happy as could be. We have a cold weather dog. So yes, uh, today and tomorrow, it is going to be brisk, brisk. But the good news is that over the course of the week, it's going to, at least they, you know, they're predicting, you know, seven days ahead by, um, by a week from Sunday, we could be close to 50. So it was just a little, Just a little reminder of why we love winter in Chicago. We love winter in Chicago because of the incredible cold. (laughs) Savor it. You know, um, this is the kind of weather where you can get frostbite pretty fast. So please, you know, if you're going out, make sure it, it isn't just a coat, but make sure it's a hat. And a scarf and either gloves or mittens. Okay, just, you know. You know, we know how to we know how to do this. We know how to do this, whether we've done it before and we will do it again. So um, but, you know, like I said, we um, my whole family, we had tickets to the lightscape at the Botanic Garden tonight. That is not going on. I don't know what's going on with illumination at the Morton Arboretum. I did get a notice from their PR department just as I was wrapping up the show yesterday. But that notice said that they were going to decide today at the Morton Arboretum whether or not they were going to be open or not. But they, uh, in their release to me, they assured me that if you have tickets for it, they will uh, let you know. And, you know, um, I got a nice, well, actually, a lot of communications from the Botan- Chicago Botanic Garden, and they are allowing people to reschedule for other days. So, you know, today, tonight probably not the night where you want to be outside walking around for, you know, a mile or two. But uh, things should change reasonably click- quickly as the week wears on. Okay, you know the drill here. It is Friday. Friday, we open up the phone lines and we uh, take your calls. We talk about the news of the day and the news of the week. I guess the biggest news so far this morning is that both houses of Congress have now signed off on the new budget and uh, they are now ready to pack their little suitcases and go home for the holiday. It was kind of interesting to see how this... um budget vote would play out because the budget uh, was passed. I think it's $1.7 trillion, something ridiculous like that. It was passed in the Senate and then sent to the House. And while everybody was pretty sure that it would get through the House of Representatives, there was some questions. Certain of the um, Freedom Caucus, you know, those far-right Republican Congress people, they supposedly wanted Kevin McCarthy, their potential leader going forward. They wanted Kevin McCarthy to uh, throw a monkey wrench into the works. You know, they um, they didn't want it to go through. And there was some speculation that the Republicans in the Senate to help Kevin out might go along with them and vote it down. But the actual, the opposite happened. Apparently, from reporting, I've read the Republicans in the Senate really wanted to take this off of Kevin McCarthy's plate. You know, I mean, he's fighting a lot of battles right now. And they felt that if they could, you know, get this passed in the Senate and add that pressure to the House, that it would be one less thing that Kevin McCarthy would have to fight with the Freedom Caucus about. Of course, when that was reported and became public, Kevin McCarthy was like, oh, you know, don't don't worry about me. I can fight. But um, they saved him that particular battle. So we have a budget. Uh, it includes, as we've uh, talked about earlier this week, it includes a lot of money for Ukraine, which is also going to get a Patriot missile battery uh, so that they can hopefully um, shoot some of those drones down that Russia keeps sending over. You know, the drones, as we've talked about, aren't going after military targets. The drones that Russia is sending over are trying to destroy the electrical grid, the power grid. Without power, you can't have clean water. Without power, you can't have light. Without power, you can't have heat. They, um, they can't seem to defeat Ukraine on the battlefield, so they're trying to basically freeze the country out. Because that's how Vladimir Putin wages war. We, um, heard from the president of Ukraine, speaking very dramatically before the U.S. Congress. We, um, we've we heard from the January 6th committee this week. There is a lot. Also, a couple of things I wasn't able to get through earlier. Tammy Duckworth made a speech uh, on the Senate floor about the whole fallout from the Roe v. Wade decision and the possibility that has been raised more frequently that Republicans are now going to try to go after in vitro fertilization. They um, apparently find that in vitro fertilization is offensive to them. And uh, she went on the Senate floor to talk about that. Also, one other thing we weren't able to get to earlier this week, Adam Kinzinger, um, aside from his work on the January 6th committee, you know, he is... Um, Not going to be Illinois' congressperson in the next session. He made what is most likely his very last speech on the congressional floor. And it was kind of interesting because, uh, he took not, he took Republicans to task and he took Democrats to task. We're going to try, I'm going to try to get all this in today, especially the stuff I haven't been able to get to earlier in the week. I do want you to know, yes, I already told you I'm going to be off next week, the week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we're going to have some wonderful guest hosts, including, as you heard yesterday, Eric Zorn on Thursday. Also, I am going to be here. You know, the, obviously the New Year's Day holiday is on a weekend. So most people are celebrating it and off work on Monday, January 2nd. Not me, not me, buddy. I'm going to be here with fresh, well, <laughs> let's hope it's fresh people to talk to and things to talk about for the coming year. So, you know what? You're off work, probably. You know, it's every, all the holidays have wrapped up. You don't have that much to do. So turn on the radio or open up your computer and listen to WCPT. And uh, it would be really nice if you would even call in. So Monday, January 2nd, be here with me, live, local, and progressive. Going to take a break. Going to get to some of the sound and a lot of your calls right after this.
2: You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It is Friday, and on Friday we talk about the news of the day and the news of the week, and we take your calls, so let's get right to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, how are you?
3: Hi, John. Today, all I can think of is the anti-medical party, the Republican Party, is completely anti-medicine. I was listening to Dr. Murphy from Northwestern last night. He said that 3 million people were saved by the COVID uh, vaccination, and there's still about 70 million Americans who won't take it because of political reasons, apparently. And uh, also, China's going to be in big trouble. But, but And then Dr. Arwadi suggesting mass, maybe over the next two weeks again. But I don't understand the reluctance to this. This has got me completely puzzled because... Uh, like, you know, you know, women with medicine and so on, they're going to deny um, modern medicine. Yeah. Uh, that's, it's that's it's what...
1: really, you know, it's really nuts. I mean, it, it truly is nuts. And the conspiracy theories and the people, you know, like I told you, you know, when... Um, when I posted a couple of people on social media wanted to know where I was. I said I had COVID and one person was like, well, I bet you're not going to be, you know, talk about vaccines going forward. And I was like, are you kidding me? Vaccines have saved my life. Absolutely I love saved it. my life. I love and it, if you love have that attitude, then you don't understand. And this whole idea that, that it's somehow a plot by big pharma. They're not necessary. You know, terrific. If you feel that way and you really don't want to get it then um good luck to you because uh, I promise you that when you get COVID, you will be pretty sick. And maybe that's what it's going to take to change your mind. You know, I never used to get a flu shot. And in my early 40s, uh, one winter I got the flu and I thought I was going to die. I mean, that's how sick I was. It was awful. And ever since then, every year I get a flu shot. So... What I don't understand, Jim, are the people who've actually buried a loved one for, who died from COVID, and that they still won't get the vaccine. I, I, that
3: I'm lost. I, yeah, I, I'm perplexed. They're completely perplexed. Anyway, have a good weekend. I hope to, anyway we come to our senses. Thank you, Jim.
1: Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Jim. By the way, uh, we do have the phone lines open, 773-763-9278. want you to know that you, uh, if you just don't feel comfortable talking on the radio, you can also text me with that same number, 773-763-9278. The WCPT text line is sponsored by Camp Kupagani.com. A multicultural camp for kids that celebrates diversity, equity, and inclusion. You'll hear their ads here on uh, WCPT a lot. It's a great, it's a great organization. So let's go back to the phone lines. Bobby's calling in from Indiana. Hello, Bobby. How are you?
4: Hey, Joan. I thought you might enjoy a uh, a little weather report from here in the beautiful uh, yes, please Indiana. Yes. Uh, Well, it started out yesterday just like textbook, the way they've been talking on, you know, for all week and about nice and calm. And at 1 o'clock, I'm talking to my brother-in-law on the phone, and I heard a scraping outside. I said, that sounds like a snow shovel. And I looked out the window, and, my God, there was already an inch of snow on the ground. And uh, it just kept coming down. And... uh, Every hour i check on the temperature, well, it's down another five degrees, another five. And uh, down uh, about, uh, when I went to bed, it was, I guess, about seven above. We were supposed to get to a low of two above, but when I called this morning, we were at, um, I think it was six below.
1: Yeah, that (laughs) that
4: sounds about right. Yeah, we're a balmy zero. Um, we, uh, the sh- snow total isn't really that bad by me. We have, but the wind is uh, pretty gusty. And uh, so I'll have to wait and see, uh, you know, come uh, Saturday, really, how much snow we'll end up with. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the worst of it, I hope, is over. Uh, The only thing that uh, bothered me about this um, spending package that they passed today Mm -hmm. was uh, a few days ago when our dearly beloved uh, buddy Mitch McConnell said he was pleased that he got virtually everything he wanted in the bill. Interesting. Yeah, that kind of bothers me. I wonder I know, I know that isn't good for people like me, but I just wonder generally.
1: Yeah. Well, I saw the I think it was Rand Paul was posing with the documentation for the budget and it um the papers <laughs> he had him on a desk And the papers were about a, a, oh, my God, about a foot high, maybe even maybe even more than 12 inches. It was a lot of paperwork. So I'm very curious. I would I would like to know what was in that budget that made Mitch McConnell so happy, though. Hopefully, Bobby, you know, Mitch McConnell said quite emphatically that we needed to keep supporting Ukraine. So maybe the additional money for military and humanitarian, maybe that's part of what he was talking about.
4: Well, that yeah, that is definitely one positive thing for sure, and uh, we'll have. To, like you said, we'll have to see when the dust fully settles and people can mm-hmm. really tear into to find out what find out what is in it, <laughs> and it'd be nice yeah. also to know what got pulled out of it.
1: Well, I can tell you one thing that got pulled out of it. I didn't have time to read the whole article, but I saw the headline. Apparently, the effort. To have marijuana decriminalized at the federal level, apparently that did not make it into this bill. Because they. I saw a headline that said something like it was sidestepped. So, you know, that's the reason why all of the pot stores in Illinois have to have such high security because they have to work on a cash basis because marijuana is still illegal at the federal level. Banks are very reluctant to work with these stores for fear that they'll get in trouble with the federal government. It's, it's really just kind of a, at this point, it's kind of a, a stupid financial mess. So hopefully in the upcoming legislative season, even with the kooky Republicans in charge of the House, hopefully we can get that done. Um, but I do know that was one thing that got dropped and we'll have to keep an eye out. I'm sure there were other things that we care about that are no longer in there, but we will find out over time. Bobby, thank you so much for the call.
4: Good, good holiday and a good week off.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Bobby. I absolutely will see you on January 2nd. Bye bye. Um, You know, I was, Bobby and I were talking about how the, the wind and the snow seem to whatever we, have experienced so far seems to be all we're going to get. Um, But as I said, this storm has moved east and the Washington Post is reporting that almost one and a half million people are without power in places where the wind has knocked that that out. So, you know, uh, while we're just going to have to put up with some really, really cold weather for the next few days, at least the the wind and the snow seem to have um, removed themselves from the forecast. Uh, let's squeeze in another phone call. Ike is calling in from Charleston. Hey, Ike, how are you?
5: Hey, happy holidays, and uh, well, you we're too. not quite as cold as you. We're well, not quite as cold as y'all are, but uh, yeah, we're going to be seeing, seeing single digits down here before So Oof. We're going for we're going for three days of uh, where we're barely going to get above freezing if we do at all. Uh, which down south, we handle it a different way. We just make sure that the liquor stores are empty and we stay (laughs) home. Uh, You know, uh, we're the dumb ones that supposedly can't drive in the snow, and every year I watch this stuff go on up north and other places, and I just laugh. But, uh, yeah, and when it comes to power, you know, and heat, listen, there's stuff available out there, everything from rechargeable uh, heated Vests uh, and coats and gloves mm-hmm. and socks. There's small portable uh, units that you can use that are not like your electric space heaters that you can get. Uh, and really, uh, you know, if you live in a single or, you know, your own house, uh, I've been preaching it for a long time. And to me, you know, if you're not taking advantage of the stuff that's out here available, such as, uh, you know, rechargeable battery banks, uh, power walls, and solar, uh, you know, and having some way to back up power in your house, uh, you know, you're missing the boat. Because, I, you know, people always say, well, you know, I can't run 100% of everything in my house, and it won't do this, and it won't do that. Well, here's the thing. It's just like what's going on in Ukraine right now. If you've got a decentralized power supply in other words they can't hit one particular place and cut power to everybody Mm -hmm. then you know you're at an advantage and also too even if you can only provide 50 percent of what your house needs then you're ahead of the game it takes that much of a load off of a centralized power grid we don't have to have that uh and lastly um as far as the holiday goes uh you know i'm i hope you spend a lot of you know quality time with your week off and i know you're going to be doing research and what have you when you go digging in that bill see if you can confirm what i saw as a headline which was they pulled three billion dollars worth of funding for the world trade uh uh center uh first responders health care benefits
1: oh no not again
5: yeah, I'm expecting John Stewart to bust a vessel and be on the TV somewhere anytime any now, you know, anytime now. Uh oh and by the way, yeah, Texas is going back down again like they did the last time and I'm just hoping people don't freeze to death. Seriously, look into you know, Looking at alternative means to be able to get yourself some sort of power and some sort of heat source. Don't rely on the grid anymore, particularly with the other problem we've got with these uh, right-wing uh, fascists running around wanting to shoot up substations, okay? And you all have a great holiday, and we'll catch you up on uh, January 2nd. and I'll hassle some of those sit-ins, too, just for the hell of it.
1: <laughs> okay, thanks, Ike. Appreciate Bye, the call. That. Um, We are going to be uh, taking a quick break. Uh, We're going to take more of your calls. Also, in addition to the stuff that I uh, told you about, we hadn't been able to get to uh, President Biden offered a Christmas message yesterday. When we come back, I'm going to share some of that with you. And as long as you've got your calendars out, you know, I already told you I'm going to be here on the holiday, January 2nd. You should also mark the fact that on January 26th, that is a Thursday, WCPT is going to be hosting a live mayoral forum. The uh, Mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and those who would like to unseat her will be uh, talking to us from noon to 1 p.m. We are going to be carrying that live. January 26th. It is a Thursday. See you. We will see you then. It's going to take a break. Be back with more right after this.
0: There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. New information, explosive new information. It's how every day starts. For information, get the info you need from Fantina Jackson weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It is Friday, and every Friday we spend the first half of the show taking your calls, reading your texts, and talking about the news of the day, the news of the week. Yesterday, President Biden made a Christmas address. And uh, in part, he uh, talked about, well, he talked about a lot of things. He was very personal, told some personal anecdotes. um, But he also talked about his hope for Christmas, his Christmas wish for the country.
6: Listen to this. I hope this Christmas season is that we take a few moments of quiet reflection, find that stillness in the heart of Christmas. It's at the heart of Christmas. And look, really look at each other. Not as Democrats or Republicans. Not as members of Team Red or Team Blue. But as who we really are. Fellow Americans. Fellow human beings worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. I sincerely hope this holiday holiday season will drain the poison that has infected our politics and set us against one another. I hope this Christmas season marks a fresh start for our nation, because there's so much that unites us as Americans. So much more that unites us than divides us. We're truly blessed to live in this nation. And I truly hope we take the time to look out, look out for one another, not at one, for one another.
1: Yeah, we're going to play a little bit, a uh, couple more things that he had to say um, in the next hour or so. But right now, let's go back to the phone lines. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron, thanks for calling in today.
3: Yes. Uh, yesterday, uh, 17 Republican senators voted for the uh, spending plan, including uh, Lindsey Graham and Tom Cotton. And last week, 12 Republican senators voted for the Marriage Equality Act, so maybe the Republicans extremists are beginning to lose their uh, control a little bit.
1: gosh, that's that would be that would be excellent. you know, I think I hate to i I always hate to give the Republican party uh, too much credit, but I think you you could be on to something because you know, um there is a group of Republicans in the House of Representatives. That have decided that they've had their fill with being ruled and smeared by the nutjobs in their party. And they have formed a group they call Main Street. You know, the, the really far right people in Congress in the Republican Party, they're the Freedom Caucus. They're the ones that are really, really saying the crazy and outlandish thing. That's the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Jim Jordans and the Lauren Boebert's. Uh, but there is, um, a middle of the road section of people who call themselves Main Street, which I think is an interesting name. And they have said that they are not going to be ruled by the crazies in this upcoming congressional session. And they want to make sure that Kevin McCarthy knows that they're there. I, last I heard there were some 60 Republicans who said that they uh, would be a part of this group. That's a significant number of votes. And, um, they wanted, um, Kevin McCarthy to know that he can't just capitulate to the crazies in the party. So maybe you're right. Maybe we're what we're seeing is a light at the end of the tunnel.
3: I hope so. I hope uh, so, too. And it was funny the other day I was listening to a uh, right wing radio show and uh, he invited callers to uh, give their opinion on whether Trump should be indicted. And then he added, but don't include the classified documents in Marilago and don't include the tax convictions in New York and don't include the sex uh, charges. So, you know, anything (laughs) else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, God. Thanks, Ron. Thanks uh, thanks for the call. Um, I wanted to share a little bit more with you uh, about the uh, Biden Christmas Address I said, you know, in addition to talking about his wish for the country, he also um, talked about his own personal situation. You know, um, when his family, his wife and some of his kids were killed, it was around this time of year, and he talked about that in his holiday day address. Um, you know, he said, basically, nobody ever knows, and this, believe me... <laughs> You get to a certain age and you realize that you have no idea what's around the corner. You can plan and you should plan and you should always look forward. But, you know, talk to anybody who has suddenly found themselves, you know, they call them accidents because you don't see them coming and somebody gets grievously injured. You know, you go to the doctor thinking that you've got just a mild problem and you end up getting a cancer diagnosis, Literally, your life can completely take a new direction in the span of 24 hours. Joe Biden knows that up close and personal. This is what he had to say about that.
6: It was 50 years ago this week that I lost my first wife, my infant daughter in a car accident. My two sons were badly injured when they were out shopping for Christmas tree. I know how hard this time of year can be. But here's what I learned long ago. No one, no one can ever know what someone else is going through, what's really going on in their life, what they're struggling with, what they're trying to overcome. That's why sometimes the smallest act of kindness can mean so much. A simple smile, a hug, an unexpected phone call, a quiet cup of coffee. Simple acts of kindness that can lift a spirit provide comfort, and perhaps maybe even save a life. So this Christmas, let's spread a little kindness. This Christmas, let's be that, that helping hand, that strong shoulder, that friendly voice, when no one else seems to care for those who are struggling, in trouble, and need. It just might be the best gift you can ever give.
1: Amen to that. Amen to that. President Biden finished his address, his holiday address to the nation. Um, you know, I told you he started off by talking about his Christmas wish for the country, which is that we can start to put all of this um, bipartisan rancor aside and start to remember what we have in common, what makes us the same, not what makes us different. He ended up with another wish for the season. Listen
6: to this. As we sing, oh Holy Night... His law, is love, and his gospel is peace. May I wish you, and for you, and for our nation, now and always, is that we'll live in the light, the light of liberty and hope, of love and generosity, of kindness and compassion, of dignity and decency. So from the Biden family, I wish you and your family peace, joy, health, and happiness. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays and all the best of the new year. God bless you all and may God protect our troops.
1: President Biden's Christmas address to the nation given yesterday. Sentiments that we echo here at WCPT. We hope you have a wonderful holiday wherever, however you celebrate it. And um, try to think of the people who. You know, whether they be neighbors or family members who are having a tough time. And, you know, if you've got it in, you reach out to them. Sometimes that can make all the difference in the world. We are going to take a break and we are going to get back to politics and your phone calls and your texts right after this.
0: Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away 773-763-9278. Chicago's
2: Progressive Talk, WCPT
0: 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It is Friday. We call Friday sort of hits and misses. We talk about the news of the day. We talk about the news of the week. Um, as you just heard, the phone lines are open, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Uh, you can text me on that line, too. I'm going to check the text in just a couple of seconds. Probably the biggest news event of the week was Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speaking to the U.S. Congress. It was a very well-crafted speech, resonated with us and our history, made clear what he feels his country needs, reminded us what his country is doing, um, I shared with you uh, yesterday a little bit about what he said. I have some new sound on that, which is um, I shared with you yesterday kind of parts from the beginning of his talk to Congress. This is how he wrapped up his um, speaking to the Senate and the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris sitting behind him. Last time, we'll see those two women up there together. But um, he was very careful. I told you he had hit themes of family, you know, of the generations of people in his country who are suffering and the generations of people all over the world who will benefit from UK- Ukraine's fight for freedom. He said some things that were clearly directed at the more skeptical members of our government. The fact that the money we're sending to Ukraine isn't charity – it is a guarantee that global freedom will continue to exist. It was, it was really, it was really a good speech. So, rather than me rambling on any longer, I want to share with you um, how uh, President Zelensky wrapped up his speech before Congress. Listen to this:
7: The battle continues, and we have to defeat the Kremlin on the battlefield. Yes, this battle is not only for the territory, for these or another part of Europe, the battle is not only for life, freedom, and security of Ukrainians or any other nation which Russia attempts to conquer. This struggle will define in what world our children and grandchildren will live and then their children and grandchildren. It will define whether it will be a democracy of Ukrainians and for Americans for all. This battle cannot be frozen or postponed. It cannot be ignored, hoping that the ocean or something else will provide a protection. From the United States to China, from Europe to Latin America, and from Africa to Australia, the world is too interconnected and interdependent To allow someone to stay aside and at the same time to feel safe when such a battle continues. Our two nations are allies in this battle. And next year will be a turning point, I know it, the point when Ukrainian courage and American resolve must guarantee the future of our common freedom. The freedom of people who stand for their values.
1: The um, Democrats in Congress said that they thought that they did uh, that uh, Zelensky did a really good job. Maybe not of convincing the Marjorie Taylor Greens who've, who've turned their back on Ukraine, but the people who could potentially have been swayed either way, they believe that, um, the speech made by Ukrainians president stiffened the resolve of those who might have felt a little wobbly on continuing to support for Ukraine. Um, And Zelensky himself was very satisfied. He felt that he had really accomplished what he came to the United States to do. Let's go back to the phone lines. Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, how are you today?
8: Yes, and I, too, was quite impressed with President Zelensky and and the commitment that this administration is making through this uh, Congress that, you know, their days are numbered in terms of what policies they can get through with regard to aid to Ukraine and i'm troubled by the notion that you've got a, a great many republicans you know that this is the party that for decades was you know the anti communist anti totalitarian yep. regime you know fighting against the the evils that was that was the soviet union yep, and, yep. and their leaders their leader now, he was, he's not some guy who just used to be a citizen of the Soviet Union. He's former KGB, for God's sakes. So how, how is it that they can forget these things and all of a sudden, oh, well, you know, Soviet Union is not a threat? I guess in their mind, as long as you're not a communist totalitarian, you're all right. You know, fine. other sorts of totalitarianism is fine, as long as it's not communist totalitarianism. So, you know, I, that's the only thing I can imagine uh, that, that would explain their sort of 180-degree turn on this. That yeah. and the, the sort of rhetoric that you see coming out of Moscow in terms of, you know, uh, the, the Russian people desiring an state. I mean, does that sound familiar to any of us in terms of some of the of, of far, far right-wing radical groups in this country? So they've come to idolize. Uh, people like, uh, like Vladimir Putin and others, you know, because they want to create an ethno state that's, you know, that's homogeneous and God forbid that, you know, we should have something that's multicultural such as we have in the United States and because it's threatening to them. And I think that that's at the core of, what the, of why uh, their, their support for the Ukrainian people is waning. Uh, but having said that, uh, I also think that this is this is a great time of the year to think to reflect upon what's happened. We've had three successive elections in which uh, people have said no in 2018, 2020, and 2022 to the Trumpian movement and and the the far right in this country, and that we just need to keep that up. We need at least one more election cycle in which I have hoped that, uh, that the Republican Party can finally regain some semblance of sanity and say, you know what, this is a dead-end road for us. This is taking us nowhere. It's only, it's only going to uh, undermine our capacity to be a, a political player on the national level. And we need to start reevaluating where we stand on these things, because this is not the Republican Party of George Bush Sr. and Bob Dole. Well, you know, it's interesting
1: that you say that, because there was an opinion piece after Zelensky spoke. There was an opinion piece in The Washington Post, and the the writer said, you know, um, Ronald Reagan would have had Zelensky's back. Either Bush Jr. or Bush Sr. would have had Zelensky's back. They were part of the Republican Party where it was where you know, remember when the Republican Party used to be anti-Russia and wanting to keep the Russians from gaining any power and gaining any traction. As you're right, you know, you're right. That doesn't seem to be exactly the picture we have today. But they were like, you know, Bush, Bush Sr., Bush Jr., Ronald Reagan. They would have been cheering for Ukrainian President Zelensky. They would have had his back.
8: Yeah, and unfortunately, as many people have pointed out, the the people you and I just referenced, uh, they would have literally no place in this Republican Party in many ways. Yeah. I mean, you know, keep in mind, I mean, Ronald Reagan was the, the, the president of amnesty with regard to people who were undocumented in here. Uh, you know, Bob Dole talked about, you know, the need for the, the big tent here in Chicago in, in 1996 for the president for the Republican uh, presidential uh, convention. I mean, uh, all of these things are out the window now. And, and they, they are now trying to walk this tightrope in which they, they, they need to placate their hard right because that's their base. Uh, otherwise uh, they can't win. But at the same time, those people are not enough to win a national election. So
4: they're exactly. sort of
8: stuck in the middle. what do they do? You know, so they're between a rock and a hard And point. they have put
1: themselves them. they have put themselves in this place. You know, when Donald Trump was impeached for the second time, Mitch McConnell indicated that he well, he didn't come out and say, I want my senators to vote him out. But he did say, I'm, you know, I'm hands off. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody how to vote. By all accounts, behind the scenes, Mitch McConnell was saying to them, this is our opportunity to excise this cancer in our party. Let's let's you know, let's take this impeachment. We've been handed and go for it, and then he will be the one result. If he had been removed by the Senate, he would also have been ineligible to do what he's doing now, which is run for president again. They had their chance, now, say, and they didn't have the courage to do it.
8: Now, I will say on that note, uh, you know, I mean, for, for a guy who announced that he was running for president, he doesn't seem to be very interested in doing anything about it a- after having announced. I mean, you talk about a guy who's virtually silent after having declared he wants to be president again. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. what, what, it is what kind of weird, isn't he? it?
8: Yeah, I mean, he, he, he announced he's running, and then that's it. <laughs> Nothing else happened after that. <laughs> I mean, it's rather interesting.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, you know, Steve, he was probably busy posing for all those pictures on his trading cards, don't you think? You know, the uh, firefighter, astronaut, um, um, you know, I mean, uh, he probably has had so much focus on wearing all those costumes for his trading cards that apparently sold out, Steve, if you are to believe him, sold out uh, immediately.
8: I mean, let's face it. I mean, if you're an adult, you know why he's running. He's not running for the good of the Republican Party or this country. He's running in the hopes that uh, – Prosecution might be deferred for someone mm, running exactly. the highest office in the land. You know, that's exactly. it's just cover for that. You know, and, and beyond that, the, there'll be people that they can go ahead and scam out of a few more dollars because there'll be a few million Americans who will be willing to send in ten, twenty, fifty dollars. You know, all in his so-called efforts to defend America and make it great again. And he'll juice those people until the day he dies. Unfortunately,
1: absolutely, he will. And it and it breaks my heart because when I look. Uh, when people are given access to some of the data and um, the people who are contributing to him, you know, it's like the um it's like the elderly Fox News viewers. And, you know, those, you know, it isn't the Ken Griffins of the world who could write, you know, one five million dollar check and buy all of his trading cards all at once. It's the it's the mom and pops
8: people. Yeah. Yeah, these are people who were cutting their diabetes medication in half because they can't stretch it far enough mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the month. I mean, and, and unfortunately, but he's uh, their guy. I mean, I, I feel he
1: cares about yeah, them, Steve.
8: Right, he's going to make America great again. You know, we're going nobody to can
1: do it but people.
8: him. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, John. Have a good holiday.
1: Thank you, Steve. Have a great holiday. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, the Republican Party. If you are a certain age, you realized that it. The per Republican party of today bears no resemblance of the Republican party that existed pretty much the entirety of my life. It is, uh, it is completely different. And it is, as, as, as some of our callers have said, Ron from Chicago and Steve, there are signs, signs that there are some cracks that maybe, maybe, maybe um, there are a few moderates who are daring to stick their heads up out of their holes and uh, see how it goes. But we've seen brief episodes like this before, and they've always um, retreated. And the ones who are vocal are um, are not reining themselves in at all. When... Um, Tammy Duckworth, took to the floor of the Senate. She talked about how not only has the Republican Party, which basically has infused the Supreme Court, not only have they allowed states to take away a woman's right of autonomy over her body when it comes to an abortion, that they are moving in the direction of, well, you know, if abortion if we we got abortion, now we should go after um, in vitro fertilization because, you know, that's kind of the same thing, you know. And maybe we should go after contraception. And maybe we should... Well, it just continues. It continues to spiral. Tammy Duckworth um, made a really impassioned statement on the Senate floor. Before we go to break for news at the top of the hour, I want you to listen to this.
9: Over the past six years that I've served in the Senate, I've gotten to know some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle quite well. Today, I come to the floor to ask those Republican colleagues a simple question. Think back to that stretch of time before you became a parent. Imagine that the only way you or your partner could get pregnant was through IVF. Then imagine that some politicians deciding that appealing to the most fringe subset of their base was worth robbing you of your dream of having a child, was worth stealing that moment we all had when we locked eyes with our newborns for the first time. How would that feel? How would that sit with you? If it so happens that you didn't struggle with infertility, that you didn't need a little medical help to have your child, then I'm happy for you. Truly, I can't tell you how fortunate you are. But if through sheer luck you won that proverbial lottery, how could you then stomach spending your time robbing other Americans, your own constituents, of the joy you've been lucky enough to experience? No. No, no, no. No. In this scary, precarious post-Dobbs world, we cannot risk one more state getting one inch closer to stripping one more person of the right to build their family. How they choose, when they choose.
1: How they choose, when they choose. That's the kind of country I want to live in. I, I would like myself, my daughter, my daughter's friends... My daughter-in-law, I would like all of those people to be able to make medical decisions with the support of their family and their doctor and without any advice from the government. I don't think that's too much to ask. We're going to take a break for news and be back with more right after this.
0: Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local and progressive are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820.
2: Hey, where is Hal Sparks? I'm not sure where he is now, but I know where you can find him Saturdays at 11. He'll be right here on WCPT 820 for the Hal Sparks Radio Program, mega worldwide.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and
5: progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that.
0: I'm WCPT 820.
1: It is Friday, the Friday before the big Christmas holiday. Hope you are planning some kind of fun get-together, whether you celebrate Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever. It's a great time to get together with family and friends. Uh <laughs> I, I say this knowing that a couple of weeks ago I did just that and ended up at a super spreader event and spent four days with COVID. But you have to assess your risk, okay? Assess your risk. Be smart about it. But uh, COVID is going to be with us, I think, for probably the rest of our lives. So um, assess your risk. And if you go to the grocery store, if you go to Target, you know, um, or if you go anywhere else, seriously consider masking up again. Nobody's going to make you. It isn't a mandate from the governor's office. But be smart. Uh, Last night, you know, we were on the fence because, you know, there was snow. And then... All of a sudden, the snow sort of quit and the wind seemed to die down. My daughter and I went to Writers Theater. They were doing a sort of a it was a modern reworking of uh, Dickens, A Christmas Carol. They somehow wove in a covid story about how everything we've been through in the last few years. Don't ask me to explain it any better than that. Clearly, I am incapable of it. And uh, I don't think it's going to be there too much longer, but it was awesome. And we were waiting. Finally, like at 6 o'clock, I got a message from Writers Theater saying, yep, we're doing it. We're doing the performance tonight. So we decided to bundle up and go. But the minute I stepped into the theater lobby, I whipped out my K95 or N95. Anyway, it was a 95-something. Smacked it on my face My daughter um, didn't have her mask with her. She went to the front desk and is often the case these days. She said, do you guys have any spare masks? And they did. They had a box of them. She grabbed one. We went in. We enjoyed the show. Um, And felt like we were being responsible. I'm not going to live the rest of my life in my house. I'm going to try to weigh the risks. And if I get COVID... I get COVID. I'm, I'm, let's see, not only am I double vaxxed, but I think now I've had four boosters. Somebody texted me uh, yesterday to say, well, you know, we're going to be getting boosters like every six months. That's okay by me. I don't care. Dr. Fauci, uh, a few weeks ago, made a statement. His, one of his last statements, because he said this is this month, December, he's leaving after 30 years as head of the government's infectious disease department. Um, he said that, you know, there's this new bivalent booster because it not only has the goodness against regular covid, it has a special bit of goodness for Omicron. I hope the numbers have gone up since then. But, you know, Fauci said a week or two ago that only 13 percent of Americans, 13 percent of Americans had gotten the bivalent. And in case you're not paying attention to what's going on in this country, COVID is on the upswing. You know, in uh, California and in New York, there has been talk about bringing back mask mandates. Because they are seeing um, a huge upswing in COVID. Allison Arwadi has said here in the city of Chicago, she is seeing an upswing in COVID, which means an upswing in hospitalizations. So please be smart. Please don't be afraid of everything. Don't be afraid of life. But for God's sake, you know, if there's a booster designed for the newest strain, go get it. What have you got to lose? It's free. It's free. Not getting it is just silliness. Uh, okay, let's go back to the phone lines. Eduardo is calling in from the south side. Hello, Eduardo. Thank you for joining our conversation today.
10: Yeah, Feliz Navidad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, trying to stay warm. Uh I hear we're going to be warming up next week. So, yeah, uh, a couple of things. So I like to call, usually I like to call and bring up things that are usually not being talked about a lot on the radio. Um, I mean, it's fine with the vaccines. And I got them, and I still got sick even my mother. But I think there needs to be like a balancing act. As you noticed, um, I don't want to say they're hoarding, but we're having a shortage on, and they're going into the stockpile as far as with the... um, medication because we have a shortage of, uh, like, Tylenol and Amoxilin and all that stuff. So I think there should be a balance. And it's trying to get the vaccine. Uh, Everybody should do a yearly checkup. I mean, regardless what they're saying from the government, uh, I was, well, here's the thing. And this would have been great if they would have done this with everybody. I got a $300, but, I mean, not everybody works for a corporation like I do but they give us like a $300 reimbursement for doing a physical, that would have been something good for everybody to do.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. And, you know, theoretically, I know that that's true, but but do I get to the doctor for a yearly checkup? Mm, I get to the doctor for maybe a checkup every three or four years, and that's usually after I get these notes from my doctor saying, hey, you're way overdue for this, get in. Um I went for a checkup months ago and was and got an order for blood work. Have I gotten the blood work done, Eduardo? No, I have not, because I'm always too darn busy. So I agree with yeah. you. But, you know, sometimes we just if we get sick, you know, then, oh, my gosh, we start to think about our health and how to take care of ourselves. But, you know, it's when you're feeling pretty good. it Life just sometimes seems to get in the way, doesn't it?
10: Yeah, although I was going to say, you know, in some cases, not in all cases, because people have gone all they're up to date on the vaccines and nothing happened. But there are some cases where people have had um, not so good of a reaction and eventually have died, not in big masses, but they ha- it has happened.
1: You're saying people uh, who reacted to the vaccines?
10: <clears throat> well, people who, who took the uh I mean let's say they went up they went up to date on the uh on the vaccines and they died because I don't know, it was some aneurysm or something that they died uh but everybody's system is different. So this is why I say it's better to go to the PCP because they have the file on what they've been giving you. They have the file on what your your uh shortcomings are. You know, what what if you have uh, high blood pressure Mm-hmm. high cholesterol, like my mother does. The government doesn't have that file.
1: <laughs> Not yet. Um, I primary, agree.
10: But the primary Yeah. yeah. But, you but
1: know, I when I was going for my physical, and I, it was in the fall, September, October, something like that, when I finally did get around to it, I specifically called the office and said, hey, you know, while I'm there, could I get the new COVID shot and could I get a flu shot? And they said, well, we've got flu shots, but we don't have the COVID vaccine. That was like September, October. So I ended up, you know, like, you know, calling around which pharmacy has it, which dates and times are available. And I eventually was able to get it. But I was really surprised that I didn't get it at my doctor's office. It just um you know, we've we've learned that the system of distribution for these things is not always perfect.
10: Yeah, and I used to um, when I was smaller, I would have this thing like where I, w- I got the injection and then I would have to take the medication because I was feeling better with the uh, injection. But they tell you, hey, you got to take the uh, medication even though you got your injection from your doctor. So. You're not completely well just because you got an injection.
1: Hmm. Um, Eduardo, we have to get to a commercial break. Thank you for calling and joining our conversation today. When we come back from this break, I want to talk a little bit about Adam Kinzinger. There was an op-ed on him In the L.A. Times and and quoted an interview with him, which I thought was fascinating. And I want to share with you a little bit of what he had to say when he made his final speech on the floor of the House of Representatives. Let's take a break and get to that right after this.
0: Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram.
2: Because facts matter, you are listening to WCPT eight twenty.
0: Attention, everyone! Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT eight twenty.
1: I want to uh, wrap up our time together before we move on to other uh, segments of the show by talking about Adam Kinsinger. The Illinois congressman, Republican congressman, who will not be a congressman going forward, but uh, has started a country-first group. He's raising money and trying to field candidates who uh, he says are, well, <laughs> sort of anti-Magas. Uh, it, there was a Los Angeles Times uh, cultural commentator who wrote about him and did an interview with him. And some of the interview is just fascinating and I want to share it with you. But first I want to share with you what Adam Kinzinger said as he made his final remarks on the floor of Congress. And he takes both Republicans and Democrats to task. Listen to this.
11: The once great party of Lincoln, Roosevelt and Reagan has turned its back on the ideals of liberty and self-governance. Instead, it has embraced lies and deceit. The Republican Party used to believe in a big tent, which welcomed the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Now, we shelter the ignorant, the racist, who only stoke anger and hatred to those who are different than us. To my Democratic colleagues, you must, too, bear the burden of our failures. Many of you have asked me, where are all the good Republicans? Over the past two years, Democratic leadership had the opportunity to stand above the fray. Instead, they poured millions of dollars into the campaigns of MAGA Republicans, the same candidates President Biden called a national security threat, to ensure these good Republicans did not make it out of their respective primaries. This is no longer politics as usual. This is not a game. If you keep stoking the fire, you can't point the fingers when our great experiment goes up in flames.
1: That was Adam Kinzinger scolding the Democrats who in many places, including here in Illinois, funded the far right Republican candidates, made sure they got some money and support, with the thinking being that because Illinois tends to be a more moderate state, they would be easier to defeat on the ballot. And that is what happened. So you could say it was a smart strategy. Um, many people also say it's a dangerous strategy because if for some reason it doesn't work out the way you intend, then you are um, helping to elect the worst of the worst to office. LZ Granderson is kind of a critic at large for the L.A. Times. And he wrote about Adam Kinzinger and his departure. And it's interesting because he allows Kinzinger to talk about the January 6th committee and what he's learned and what he's done. But he also holds Adam's feet to the fire about a few things. There's I just I I suggest that you that you read it. I wonder uh, I don't know if this is behind a paywall. I will try to tweet out a link to this on my Twitter account And on my post account. Um, So hopefully it's not behind a paywall and you will be able to read this in its entirety. But uh, LZ Granderson talked to him about his work on the January 6th committee. Adam Kinzinger said, you know, I always assumed everyone in politics had their version of a red line. That one thing they won't do. My faith in the people who become politicians has become really damaged I now look more realistic at politics. L.Z. Granderson writes that he told Kinzinger that that sounded sad, and Kinzinger said it was. And he said, quote, it's been a dark couple of years for me. This has been all consuming. I went into this job at 32 as a Republican because I believed in the mission, and now I don't know what the mission is. Ukraine is way more divided politically than we are. But you see what happens when their freedom is threatened. They're willing to die for it. We have what they are fighting for, and we are trying just as hard to get rid of it. Here's where L.Z. Granderson kind of holds his feet to the fire. He writes strong words from someone who voted for President Trump in 2020 and sided with his agenda more than 90 percent of the time. And therein lies the rub with a political figure like Kinsinger. His participation in the January 6th committee is appreciated by the left, but his voting record is pure right. Kinsinger says Trump basically inherited a Republican agenda and went with it. I can't think of any vote that I regret. Recently, Kinzinger voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, but he voted for in he supported the respect for marriage act he apparently even though he was raised in a very uh, christian kind of uh, household he apparently has out gay staffers on his congressional staff and so it's um so elsie grand granderson holds his feet to the fire on that voting record this is what L.Z. writes, as lovely as all this sounds, it's hard for me to see a congressman who so frequently sided with Trump as a live and let live kind of person. Nor would I characterize voting for Trump in 2020, given everything we then knew him to be as a live and let live vote. I pressed Kinsinger on that one. This is Kinsinger's response. Quote, I was a big sissy. I thought Trump isn't going to go win Illinois anyway, so my vote wouldn't matter. I didn't vote for him in 2016, and I was heavily criticized for it. So I voted for him in 2020 just to have one less thing people could come at me with. I'm telling you this because it's important to tell people that there's nobody that's perfect in resistance or courage. Self-governance is the hardest form of government. As I said, it was really, really an interesting interview. Oh, one more thing that came out of it. Apparently, one of the biggest shocks out of the January 6 findings for Kinsinger and other members of the committee was the involvement of Justice Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, Virginia, better known as Ginny Thomas, Kinsinger quote, all of Mark Meadows text log was shocking, but the biggest personal shock was seeing how much Ginny Thomas was texting him. Who saw that coming? Again, um, Kinsinger said that even though they uh, did recommended charges, recommend charges against Trump and others to the DOJ, he is not sure that charges will come. So... <clears throat> It's um it's a fascinating read um from one of the more complicated members of Congress and the fact that he is based here in Illinois makes it all the more interesting. Here's what we're going to do for the rest of the day. Um we are going to take a little tiny break for some fun in the next upcoming segment is time. We're going to do a pet of the month before we break for the holidays. And then after pet of the month, we are going to have uh, professor Joel Ostro back with all of this stuff around Ukraine and uh-huh. Zelensky's speech and um, everything that's happened this week. It's a, it's a good time to get somebody who is an expert on Russia to weigh in on all that. So that is, How the rest of the day is going to unfold probably won't have the phone lines open uh, during pet of the month, but we will open them back up again at uh, four o'clock when we talk once again about Ukraine. Going to break now. Be back with more right after this.
0: Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Tune into the Tom Harmon radio program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT
2: 820, where facts matter.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: We can't go into the holiday season without putting at least a tiny little smile on your face. So we're going to spend the next 30 minutes with our regular Pet of the Month uh, segment. Our new Pet of the Month is Pablo. Pablo. Uh, You can find Pablo at Anti-Cruelty. Joining me now are Tracy Elliott, President and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, and of course, our favorite pharmacist, Craig Baragowski, with Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you have great plans for the holiday, and it's going to be wonderful for both of you. Tracy, are you uh, doing anything special? I'm
12: going down to Indiana, where I grew up, to see my mother and my uh, sister and my niece and brother-in-law will be with us, so very special to get to see her and uh, we will not be doing anything outside I-,
1: <laughs> I was just gonna i was just gonna warn you that in case you didn't already know it's very cold outside tracy very cold outside yes. craig what about you
13: uh, yeah, Joan. Me and my wife were fortunate enough to catch probably the last flight out of California to get to Midway this morning, so um, we were able to get here. And now I'm going to spend uh, Christmas Eve with my entire family, all my siblings. Oh go-holder. my gosh! You know, my mom's buried and grandchildren. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be like Santa Claus threw up at the Bellagasse <laughs> household uh, tomorrow evening. So, but we have great plans. we Are very very fortunate and 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 thankful that we we're able to make it home in time.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. You know, we were just uh, joking with you, Tracy, about uh, the fact that it is going to be cold in Indiana, just like it is going to be cold in Illinois. Um, what yeah. do you do to make sure that all of the animals at anti-cruelty stay toasty um, when we get a cold snap like this? Well,
12: with very little outside time is hitting at all. Obviously, they don't, they don't need to go outside um, to, to be cared for, although it's always best for them when the weather is good, but we do have in our central courtyard um, an, a de-icing system, so the, the uh, uh, ground is always uh, dry and not slippery. And in this kind of weather, any animal uh, is vulnerable to uh, frostbite and just discomfort. I have a a, uh Australian cattle mix who, this is the first time in her one-and-a-half-year life that she has not wanted to be outside. Uh, no wow. other mother has ever forced her to come in, but we went outside today. She was screaming when she saw the snow, how fun it was going to be, and in five minutes she looked at me and said, there's something wrong here. She's
1: you know, that's, saying, that surprises me. Um, you know, our, our rescue, uh, Willow, is mostly Australian shepherd, and... I really wondered, because he just loves the winter. Ray took him out this Mm -hmm. morning when they first got up at like, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning or something absurd. Mm -hmm. And according to Ray's weather app with the wind chill, it was negative 30. And he said Willow could not have been happier. He rolled on his back, his legs in the air, making that, oh, isn't this great noise? And Ray was like, turn around. P, we're going in the house, please. I'm begging you.
12: Right. right, and and I have a small dog, a little dachshund mix, and uh, luckily I have trained him to be an inside pad, too, because she just will not and cannot go out. Oh weather.
1: God, uh, I can't imagine can't a little dog in this weather. As as you as you both know, Willow has lots of insulation. Uh, he has uh, he regained the little bit of weight he lost. Willow is what you say a big boy a big boy he was 97 when i took him to the vet uh, a few weeks ago i know it's not good but you know well,
13: we're working on it he's close to his surgery too so he he might be there might be kind of residual from recovering from that cuz i know that uh, he had to be kind of immobilized for a little while so that plays a role as well as long as you
1: all don't right see yeah i agree you're making the same excuse Ray does. I mean, yet Ray gives him treats and lets him lick the plate. But oh, you know, it's just cause he's not, it's post surgery and he hasn't been moving around a lot. Okay. Both of you. I agree. I'll, 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 I will let it go. We have another probably month of Willow being on restricted duty. And then hopefully the pounds will just melt off after that, guys.
3: <laughs> oh,
1: and talking about the holiday season. Tracy, I definitely wanted to go over the idea that unless you know it's wanted, unless you've consulted with the family, please, please know puppies and kittens as Christmas gifts. Tracy, talk about
10: that.
12: Right, right. Well, we will, you know, always counsel uh, a potential adopter of the responsibilities that they are taking on, whatever animals happens to be, you know, uh, you need to be there for the rest of their life. Um, and, uh, we hope that that's going to be a long time and the thrill of a puppy, uh, puppy breath and the fun and the joy begins to run out when, uh, you have to clean up the messes and train them and all of those things. So, uh, we, we, our adoption experience counselors do a great job of that, but is great advice from you. Um, this is a long-term commitment at the same time. Um, we make it very clear that if a if a match is not working out, the best thing you can do is bring the animal back so we can find a more compatible home, and we will never judge you about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
12: but the best thing to do is make the match work from the very beginning by making sure that you are ready for the commitment.
1: Yeah, you know, um, Craig, we've talked about you know different um, medicines and herbal remedies that you have at, at Mark Drugs that can. Make um, a nervous dog a little bit, a little bit calmer. Um, are there diet pills for dogs? Uh,
13: nothing that you would think um, as a classic uh, kind of uh, like fentermine something they use for humans that is basically a weak amphetamine that uh, that does actually lower, you know, your, your increases in your metabolism and uh, reduces hunger. This is something that is not often prescribed for any sort of. Uh, canine. Now, what is more important is a prescription diet, perhaps. You, you don't want to take a supplement or use any sort of drug that's going to um, increase heart rate or cause any problems, maybe even hyperactivity, which would be a common side effect for using a drug like that. Um, but there are certain foods that can be given that actually have a lot more fiber, a lot more um, you know, take up more space in the animal's uh, stomach so that they feel full quicker. Now, when it comes to most dogs, especially a dog the size of Willow, anything in front of Willow is going to be consumed immediately. So I think you hit the nail right on the head with the little treats that might be getting sneaked into uh, Willow's diet. But ultimately, (laughs) you have control over what food is put in front of and uh, Willow has access to. And there are... Calorie restricted foods, but the volume of food is important. Making sure that it's a large volume of low calorie food, so that at the very least, Willow has uh, fewer hunger pangs than uh, than than he would otherwise. Yeah. So, it's well, and all you know, about diet. There are drugs, but the diet is fundamental.
1: I am. Um, I've been reading a lot about like what vegetables uh, dogs can eat, and you know, Willow, as you so accurately pointed out, will eat anything. But I've discovered as I've been cooking, he loves carrots, he loves zucchini, he loves broccoli, he will eat iceberg lettuce. So I think what I'm going to have to do is put together little treat bags so that Ray can have the satisfaction of giving him a treat, and yet if it's a handful of iceberg lettuce, everybody wins.
13: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's actually a pretty good uh, trick because carrot sticks especially are things that, um, you know, one of my rescues, Cowboy, just loves them. And what he does, you throw a little carrot stick, he grabs it and then runs away and hides so he can eat it by himself with no one looking, <laughs> so he, he's getting the treats. And, and to him, it absolutely is a treat, and it satisfies that, uh, you know, that reward center uh, without having to increase the calorie count significantly.
1: Yeah, that... Um... That I think is uh, an absolutely brilliant discovery. So, um, before we before we head off to our first break, we haven't really had a lot of time yet. I haven't given you a lot of time. It's my fault. Okay, um, to talk about Pablo, our new pet of the month, Tracy. What can you tell us about Pablo? Well,
10: Pablo
12: is a female. Um,
1: okay, Tracy. Did you did you? Is there some confusion here? Because uh, yes. I would have assumed Pablo was a boy.
12: We, I know that. We have a lot of uh, a dogs that we have to name, so, you know, sometimes we, we, we go out uh, in other directions, but she's a, a cute, bouncy, kind of crazy, highly energetic dog, but she takes a while to to warm up. She's been in a foster home. She did great. But they had to be patient with her, and uh, her new uh, human is going to have to be patient as well while she warms up, and she will... Very soon. After that, learn to trust you and show her personality. Highly energetic, so it's best to have a yard. It's best to uh, be able to walk to even run with a dog. Uh, this is not a lap sitter. Um, to be, I mean, I'm sure she loves to sit on laps, but she wants to. She has a lot of energy. She wants to move and run. So, uh, but she's sweet and cute, um, and uh, her picture, of course, is on your website and all yeah. on that. as well.
1: And you know, I would like to reinforce not just for Pablo, but I think any dog, whether you get them from foster or whether you get them from the shelter, you—it's going to take. In my experience, it takes about a month for the whole decompression to take place. I, I, of course, am a foster for anti-cruelty, and I follow the fosters when they post on Facebook, and sometimes I'll see a new foster. Who'll post like, Oh my God, I got so and so, you know, four days ago and they still are like, you know, hiding. And I'm, and I always message them and you know, just it's okay. It doesn't happen right away. Sometimes, depending on the animal, it takes weeks and weeks for them to really start to feel safe and secure, but it'll happen, but you really have to be patient.
12: Let, it, let the animal decide the pace, um, because if you rush it, you might cause actually more anxiety and more fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard for those of us who love animals; we want we want them in our lap right away. We want to pet them. We want to move towards them. But uh, it's important to really gauge what the animal's level of trust is and work with that.
1: Hmm. I uh, I completely one hundred percent agree with that. And you know the amount of patients when I first. Over a year ago, I took in three cats as part of the safety program, and I would, you know, they had their own little space, and I would go in and sit with them, and I used to try to hold them on my lap, and I would gently pick them up, put them on my lap, and they would immediately jump off, and I'd be like, okay, well, and then I thought to myself, they're just not lap cats. Um And then after another week or two, they were fighting to be the cat in my lap. Sometimes I had multiple cats in my lap. I'd have one and the other one would jump up and sort of mm-hmm. shove the other one over so they could be there, too. So mm-hmm. you really, really do have to let them sort of flower in their own time. Right. Um That's right. We need to take a break. We're going to be back with more Pet of the Month. Pablo is our girl right after this.
0: Can't listen to Jonas Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today. I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret; you can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa, you feel that right away? Ugh. It's just refreshing.
2: WCPT eight twenty, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter
0: is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: It is our Pet of the Month segment. I am joined by Tracy Elliott, President and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, and Craig Bodogowski from Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. Uh, Tracy, I will admit that I confuse easily. I was looking at the posting. Of the hours, the holiday hours for anti-cruelty. And, um, I was, I was confused because sometimes the shelter's open or the clinic's open or, but one can be open and the other isn't open. Can you run us through if somebody's sitting there and thinking, Oh, maybe between Christmas and New Year's, you know, we'll go look at the rescues. What are the general outlines for when you're going to be open this holiday season?
12: Uh, I don't have those right in front of me, so I can grab really quickly, but they are on our website, uh, and I'll find you here in just a moment. But uh, when the clinic is, it, during this period of time, when the clinic is open, um, uh, the shelter is open and vice versa. So we have our hours uh, posted right now on the website. A special box comes up with uh, with the hours in it, and I'm trying to get that up right now.
1: <laughs> but, uh, I know it uh, never comes up
4: quickly I, enough I, when I, you're I, trying to get it. That's okay. That's okay. I can't remember anything anymore uh,
12: unless I see it. So here we go. Um, Everything in the holidays. So we are only closed uh, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day. Uh, oh, obviously we were, we were closed today as, as well. It was a, a holiday for us too because the uh, because the holidays being on. Um, uh on weekends. So open for our regular grades time, um nine to six PM at the River North Adoption Center. Uh, and at the oh I'm looking now for our Everyday Adoption Center at the South Loop Pet Smart Store. Um, that's open when the is open. So ten thirty AM to six thirty PM, Monday through Saturday, eleven A. M. to five thirty PM on uh Sundays. And one more thing, John, real quickly we were talking about Pablo. We are currently in our, uh, our holiday special to get animals into home for the holidays. And, uh, so we are waiting all adoption fees until December 31st, too. We are calling oh. home for the holidays.
1: Holidays. I like that. Yeah, I got um, that. Got that. If somebody wants to meet Pablo, do they go on the website and, like, make an appointment, or how does that work?
12: Well, uh you don't have to make an appointment, just come in when we're open, but it's best if you go to a website and fill out um, a very, very brief uh, potential adopter form and that way that's all done for you if you come in. Uh, we're going to have you fill that out anyway uh, on a on a laptop so or on a forgive me on a handheld. So do that in advance, come in when we're open and indicate that you're looking with Pablo and I'm sure the adoption experience guides will suggest some other great dogs for you to look at. Of course, we have a lot of kitty cats. They're also great for the holidays um, and on, on cold days like this. And we have lots and lots of rabbits and really cute pocket pets as
8: well. So
1: Pocket pets. I like um, that. I like the idea of pocket pets. Um, Craig, uh, recently, as, as I've, I've talked about on these segments, you know, uh, Willow had his second um, knee, essentially knee replacement surgery. And he developed this weird licking thing. And I took him to the vet and there's now a, a medicine. Ray and I call it his antidepressants. It's a, a medicine that is designed to like sort, short circuit the loop that they can get into in their brain that makes them want to keep licking and licking and licking. Once we have completed this medicine, if this problem ever seems to be coming back, is there any sort of supplement or natural thing we can give, Willow?
13: I mean, the closest thing to it would be something that we have discussed in the past as far as using something like CBD for anxiety-type situations. And that sounds mm-hmm. like what you're experiencing right now. Uh, what often happens, and sometimes it's a hot spot, sometimes there is no injury or, or no no surgical scar. that It could just happen like they get borderline obsessed with a certain area of their body um, and they continue to lick it, uh, you know, regardless, there's a couple of different ways to to treat this, but it's often treated with antidepressants and they'll use something that would be, um, you know, used for uh, anxiety in humans to hopefully treat this condition because it's probably uh, some sort of anxiety driven uh, behavioral habit that he has. And uh, depending on which drug it is, there are certain drugs that you can use on the spot, which is C- CBD, is something that would be a little bit more useful in this situation. If you wanted to use it, kind of as needed, um, someone like willow would need a tremendous dose to hopefully have that calming type effect. Um, but uh, but when it comes to something natural, um, they're probably going to hope that the uh, the the drugs that are prescribed, like uh, trazodone, which works fairly quickly for that type of situation, or something like. Wait, wait, uh, isn't that a
1: painkiller? Trazodone isn't that a painkiller? You you might be.
13: It's very similar to. It sounds. Oh,
1: tramadol. tramadol, I'm thinking of tramadol. uh...
13: Yeah, which Willow may have had to use uh, closer to the surgery, and then they usually withdraw that uh, soon after because that's an opiate. That's a stronger uh, anti-pain medication. But um, Trazodone is, I mean, it originally was an antidepressant. It doesn't work that well for that for any species, but it does work as a sleep aid in humans, and it does work for this type of condition. If you notice um, it happens at certain times, Trazodone might be something to use Kind of as needed versus something like fluoxetine or Prozac, which would be on board to prevent the animal from wanting to, you know, lick in the first place. Gabapentin is another one that's uh, sometimes used acutely to kind of put them out and reduce the anxiety or, or whatever's causing, um, you know, to hopefully short circuit that behavioral pattern. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's a number of things that can be used as needed, but then there's other more uh, kind of classic antidepressants, even really old school ones called uh, tricyclic antidepressants that are often used in animals to, like you, the way you described it, kind of short circuit that uh, that behavioral pattern to hopefully stop them from licking. And there's also types of uh, things that you can apply to the area that is being licked, especially if it's not an open wound or anything like that, that just has a bitter taste to hopefully kind of, uh, you know, Train them that licking that area does not fire off the uh, dopamine uh, you know, neurons very well because they get a bitter taste instead of whatever they're getting when they actually uh, you know have that behavioral pattern.
1: huh uh, Tracy, do you find that animals in the shelter because it is a very stressful environment that they sometimes develop behaviors that that uh, that they wouldn't in a home?
12: That is exactly right, Joan. Um... Obviously it's very individual to the animal, but there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stimulation every day, uh, for an animal in the shelter. Um, we do our very best to try to counteract that, uh, through what is called a fear-free approach, um, which you may have heard of. But, um, there's nothing we can do to completely, uh, make the shelter atmosphere like the home. So yes, we do have behaviors now. We have a, we have behavior experts that do enrichment, um, and lots of volunteers come in and do enrichment. And by the way, anybody who's listening can come in and do enrichment as well. You could take a dog on a walk. You could take a dog home for a weekend. Um, there are enrichment activities that get them out of the shelter. Uh, not at the moment, but <laughs> when the when the weather warms back up, we do try to think do things that um, allow them to. Uh, You know, have fun and and behave as either a cat or a dog or whatever might do, whether it be, you know, running around our our courtyard or running around um, uh, our playroom uh, or other kinds of enrichment activities to get those uh, behaviors as normal as possible before they get to the home.
1: Yeah, and that kind of stuff is so important. And I know we've talked about this before, but especially now uh, around the holidays when a lot of people either have time off. Or a lighter work schedule. I mean, you know, if you're going to volunteer, I mean, you don't have to make a five year commitment. It's not like a full time job. Um, and, and I think that that's what a, what a terrific way to, uh, to spend the holidays. I actually was one of the, um, fosters. I was actually on the air, so I couldn't get, I didn't get the phone call. But when you had that last load of puppies, I got a call right. saying, hey, you know, we're looking for fosters for these puppies. Right. And um, I, of course, immediately after I got off the air, went to the website, and I pulled up the video of those cute little puppies. Right. And uh showed the, you know, I showed the rest of my family. I said, I think we need a couple of these puppies for the holidays. What do you guys think? Right. And um right. They were. They took a little time to think about it, and by the time they finished thinking about it, all the puppies were gone.
12: They were we gone, right, all right, exactly. You have mentioned about, on the air, Joan, that we have increased our short-term volunteer opportunities where you can just come and spend some time with an animal, um, take them on a walk, as I think you mentioned a number of times for sort of weekend away. Um, so those are on our website as well, uh, or you can come in and just ask our... Adoption experience guides about, uh, you know, if you want to take a dog on a walk, we will uh-huh. give you a very brief training and make sure that, you know, they're harnessed correctly and you know what to do. And then you can just go out in the neighborhood and walk them around. And, and uh, we won't choose dogs that we'll would be frightened by the stimulation outside, you know, and we're kind of noisy. But uh, for many dogs, that's just a great experience to get out for a half an hour or an hour Yeah, the shelter. Yeah.
1: Or even a weekend.
12: Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah, I'm I I might be in touch with you guys about that. The only problem is, as as I've said to you guys before, I really like big dogs, the bigger the better. I mean, you know, give me a hundred and forty pound dog that I can just snuggle with and love. But Willow, while Willow likes all dogs and all animals, Willow loves little dogs. As big as he is, he lays down, he gets as low as he can. And he's perfectly still. Our neighbors have a, a little dog. And the little dog just rolls all over him, runs into him, you mm. know, um, rolls all over his back, gets under his arms. And Willow is just so content to with that kind of ridiculous attention. So I don't know. Willow and I are going to have to work this out and figure out who we can uh, yeah. rescue, for at least for a weekend, from the shelter. But, guys, thank we'll you so a, much. Take a big one Go out. Go ahead, Tracy. Go ahead, Tracy. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. We'll think about it. Right. Um, I really love doing Pet of the Month. Tracy Elliott, President, CEO of Anti-Cruelty. Our good friend, Craig Baragowski from Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. It is always a pleasure to have these conversations. And happy holidays to both of you.
5: And to you, thank you, thank you, Joan. We will. Thank
1: you. We are going to take a break for news and be back with more politics right after this.
0: Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. Drought, war, and rising food prices have doubled the number of families facing malnutrition. You can help. $50 provides a food kit to feed a family for a month. Just text the word radio to 97646. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: As I said at the top of the show, the biggest news of the week was Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky speaking live to the U.S. Congress. It was a speech designed to do a lot of things reassure those who were maybe wavering in their um, support for Ukraine, uh, thanking those who have been steadfast supporters of Ukraine, reminding us of the really important moments in our history where we fought for what we believed in and making that parallel with what is going on in Ukraine. All together, a lot of people said that um, he pretty much hit it out of the park. But with so much news with Putin and Russia and Ukraine and Zelensky. We needed to get Joel Ostro back here. He is, of course, a professor of uh, political science at Benedictine University and an expert on Russia. Uh, Joel, thank you for coming back on uh, qu- kind of quick notice for us.
14: <laughs> well, thank you for having me back. I really appreciate it.
1: Talk um, to me about yeah. what you saw in Zelensky's appearance here.
14: Yes. Yeah, so you characterized his visit uh, absolutely correctly. Um, he came to uh in part thank uh the United States and the West for for its unwavering support, but also to make the case for uh not just continuing but but more uh support and assistance for Ukraine and in, in what will be meant the many months ahead. Um and he did so at a time when uh, as you also put it right, um it's not just uh, members of the far right of the Republican Party uh who uh, have questioned or even outright opposed uh, assistance to Ukraine from the outset. But also, uh, let's be honest, uh, the many on the left uh, also um, critical of or questioning uh, that support. Um, And uh, I'd like to ask uh, you and your listeners for some forbearance here. But um, I'd like to do something that I I, uh, often do uh, with my students to try to get their minds into a, um, a different kind of way of thinking, um, which is to close your eyes for a moment and, and imagine, uh, for example, that Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa are a separate country altogether and, and a unified people um, committed to principles of democracy, of, of freedom, liberty, equal justice for all. Um, and all of the truths that we're supposed to hold to be self-evident. And imagine the weather that we have now, uh, and that for an extended period of time, before, during, and after this storm, uh, we have no electricity, we have no heat, we have no hot water, indeed we have no running water for an extended period of time. But the reason we don't have those things is not because of the weather, it is because the other 46 states are a behemoth uh, violent dictatorship hell-bent on eliminating not only our country from existence but us as a people from existence that is what president zelensky so effectively communicated uh, to the american people and to congress in his address and what he tried to communicate to the president as well in his meetings in the press conferences that's what's at stake it's not just Ukraine, um, because uh, in a sense, Europe is Canada, a freedom and democracy-loving country. Uh, uh, Canada is like the United States is now. Mexico is like Europe is now. We're all threatened by this behemoth dictatorship uh, that is Russia, Um and indeed, uh, it's not just democracy and liberty they oppose, but um, but Russia is uh, opposed to um, all of those things that that have made us prosperous, successful, and secure. Um, and I think one of the most poignant moments of his address, of Zelensky's address to Congress, was when he reminded us of the essential nature of an interdependent world for our prosperity, for our health, for our well-being, which ultimately guarantees our security. Um, And that the United States, since the uh, end of World War II, has been essential, the essential state, not just for democracy and liberty, but also for economic prosperity and growth around the world. It isn't always perfect. Perfection is Uh, perhaps the goal, but it's never the reality. Uh, But the United States has stood for expanding liberty and freedom and for expanding prosperity around the world and, and trying to, uh, shore up errors in our efforts, uh, shortcomings, failures, um, and, and to keep the world united Uh, And to expand the the places in the world that are committed to those values, that that America is essential to all of that. That none of that, none of this globalized world holds together unless America remains committed to it. And a key factor of that globalized world are those principles of freedom and and liberty, and the expansion of those ideals. Uh, So that's what he communicated was was that. It's not just Ukraine that he needs to make United States, but indeed the the world as it has grown since the end of World War II and since the end of the Cold War, in particular with globalization. Um, and that was the core message of his reminder. I'm I am certain it fell deaf on many of the Republican ears in that room and and those who boycotted but i'm hoping the american people at large took it to heart and and that the people's uh, in in our of the states that are among our closest allies also did
1: i've never thought of it in the terms you just described that illinois is ukraine and like say all the states to the west of us are russia when you put it in those terms it's It's chilling to me in a new in a new way. I mean, my God, it really is a David and Goliath situation, isn't it?
14: And it's why I I always tell you and and everyone else, there is no end soon. The active fighting might end. uh, But as we're hearing more and more, how are the Ukrainian people uh, supposed to orient towards Russia and Russians in the decades following this, it is Russian people who are committing these atrocities on a daily basis, whether it is uh, in the hand-to-hand brutality uh, and the grotesque mass murders in in towns like Bucha that we've heard about and and the people tossed into those mass graves, or if it's those who are launching these rockets and drones that are attacking uh, the heat, the water, the water-pumping facilities, the electrical power stations, um, those are ordinary Russians doing that, uh, just like ordinary Germans committed unspeakable atrocities over many years uh, in the 1930s and 40s. Um, and uh, But the difference is, say, for, uh, you know, I grew up, I, I'm, I'm Jewish, and, and I, you know, even my parents, uh, had difficulty, you know, my mother, I'll never travel to Germany. I can understand that. Germany wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, the Jews are a diaspora largely, right? Here you have Ukraine right next to Russia in a, in a tiny country. Uh, not quite landlocked. It's really an apt analogy. We have Lake Michigan and then a cumbersome journey across the river to try to get to the open seas. I mean, Ukraine is not landlocked, but it doesn't have easy access to the rest of the world, especially with Russia controlling Crimea. Um, so, so the tension is, uh, is going to extend without, without sight of an end, put it that way.
1: Do you think There's once no this
14: site of the tension ending
1: once oh, you know what I should take a break i I have a question uh that's basically I was going to be probably more verbose than this, but how Ukraine heals well, who you're talking to <laughs> the verbose <laughs> twins here um when we come back i want I want to talk about um will the process of healing in Ukraine after this comes to a conclusion Will it depend in large part on a how things conclude and b what Russia does to police its own people who were part of this? I'm speaking with Professor Joel Ostro. He's a political science professor with an expertise in Russia from Benedictine University. We're going to be back with more right after this.
0: Did you know you can text Joan at the same number you used to call us? 773-763-9278. Thanks to our texting sponsor, Camp Kupugani. Register today at multiculturalcamp.com. Text away 773-763-9278.
2: This is WCPT 820, where facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I'm joined by Benedictine University political science professor, Joel Ostro. We have been talking about President Zelensky's trip to the United States, and we were talking about what, what might happen when and or if this conflict ends. And, um, I can imagine, I mean, I'm looking back to what healing did and did not take place after World War II, and it seems like if the aggressors really admitted what they did, really held their own people who were inappropriate to, it held them to, to, took them to task. Um, if Russia handles the end of this war in a way that acknowledges the wrong that they have done, don't you think that will go a long way toward w- creating some kind of warmer relationship between Ukraine and Russia
14: That would help but I think uh, in this case uh, it, it has to go so much deeper even than that Joan. obviously much will depend on on what happens over the next months and years. Uh, how long does this stretch out how much how much more extensive does the destruction and the killing uh, go? Um, what sorts of methods and tactics does Russia continue to use? Um, but uh, no matter what it seems to me, uh, it's not just going to have to be a collective sort of repentance for the actions against Ukraine. But there would need to be a, um, a collective. Um, I hate to use the word reeducation because I don't mean it in the way that dictatorships <laughs> use that uh-huh. word. Um, but a collective understanding of um, how Russia has at uh, the Russian public, the people have fallen back into tolerating uh, and almost welcoming um, mass censorship and propaganda. Um, and all of the other elements of, of authoritarian rule, lack of political competition, um, all of that, not only at the federal level, but down to the local level. Um, and there needs to be uh, and I don't know how that happens unless uh, a regime comes into place that is so dedicated to democratic principles and values. Um, and I don't mean it doesn't have to look like America's democracy, but but the basic principles of all democracies of, um, uh, you know, acceptance of diversity, uh, that people are people. Um, and, and well, like I say, the truths we hold to be self-evident. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the institutions that the institutional configuration doesn't matter as much as as the collective. Um, buy into those principles and, and the weakening of our own democracy um, reflects, of our, of our democratic institutions reflects a weakening of commitment to those principles. It's those principles that, that hold, that enable democracy to begin with. Um, and the Russian people have never really fully embraced those uh, in Russia's history, and, and that has to be the first step. And then that lends more meaning to uh, Russia's would have to play a large role in the rebuilding of Ukraine. Um,
1: well, that's you know, the other that thing. So what's going to be left? What is going to be yeah. left by the time yeah. this is over?
4: Right. right. Well, what's
14: left now? I mean, many, many times nothing is left. I don't know if you saw the report about the town Mariupol uh, that was in The New York Times a couple of days ago. Uh, But Russia occupies Mariupol still, and and, uh, they have sent teams uh, bulldozing buildings, um, uh, replacing all the street names with uh, Russian names and a lot of them Soviet era type street names, um, replacing all of the, you know, basically trying to erase or if we want to chill everyone's spines, cleanse. Uh, Mariupol of all uh, signs of Ukraine and Ukrainian life. It's genocide.
1: It absolutely is. And it's taking place right in, in front of us. I Correct. was talking to Eric Zorn yesterday, and I told mm. him he does this thing where if you go to his uh, Substack or the Picayune Sentinel, his newsletter, yeah. he has readers predict what's going to happen politically in the next year. Mm. And I told him no. that I thought that this conflict, this war mm-hmm. would be over, not right away, but by the end of 2023, that it would be over. Do you think that was a ridiculous prediction? I just don't see how this can continue.
14: Well, I, I, my pause is, is it, who knows? Um, the war ends when Russia decides uh, that it's done, because against uh, against a small country like Ukraine on its border, uh, Russia will be able to wage war for as long as it desires to wage war. And, and I use these words differently, and I know I'm speaking a little differently now than perhaps several months ago when I would have said Putin will wage this war for as long as Putin uh, is willing to. But it really is Russia and the Russian people at this point. Um, and, uh, and there are no signs that Russia's resolve is really weakening in any weakening in any visible way.
1: Is this because uh, so, what you've said before and, and, and about and how... Ukraine. If for Russia to withdraw from this conflict, it would have to be pressure brought by the Russian people against their leadership?
14: It's going to be bottom up. Yeah, it's, it's going to have to be bottom up because uh, we, meaning the rest of the world, have done everything we can uh, to convince the Russian elite that this is not in their interest uh, through sanctions and, and travel restrictions and other punishments, seizures of assets. Um, and and the punishment of and the pain against Russia's economy is real and against those people is real. Uh, But, but they apparently have uh, have enough assets or or interests uh, uh, that, that lead them not to, not to squawk a few have left, but even those who have left don't squawk because the the consequences are still, uh, you know, life or death for many of them. Um, so, yeah, it would have to be from the bottom up. And, you know, how is that going to happen? Hard to see, Joe. Well,
1: didn't we both talk about the fact that it was basically Russian mothers losing their, mm-hmm. particularly their sons mm-hmm. in Afghanistan mm-hmm. that finally pressured mm-hmm. Russia to change tack there? Um, we are seeing not only the, the recruits, not, years, not only... <laughs>
9: yeah but so, but, that,
14: but this that, is
1: on a much you know, faster he, scale he says
14: thank you for the weapons and we need more uh and there was laughter but that laughter among the members of congress was a laughter of recognition and understanding that that it's never going to be enough as long as russia is hell-bent on continuing to fight uh, ukraine's need for assistance is is not going to wane if anything it's going to increase uh and uh
1: well that but, i but get
14: but you know we're up.
1: seeing okay. so. um we're seeing conscription you know we are seeing you know we see all the the pictures of the tearful mm-hmm. departures of mm-hmm. men getting on buses and fiancés and wives and mothers you know waving to them i mean come on that's got to be having some kind of effect you just just don't see it or not enough or what some
14: refused to go those who refused to go tried to flee um, or hide uh, and the estimates are that might have been uh, up 20% of, of that initial call up but that means 80% of 300,000 went whether grudgingly or not Joe they went uh, and many of them apparently if we can trust uh, Ukraine's intelligence and the warnings coming from President Zelensky uh, uh, large numbers are training in Belarus uh, and, and uh, the Ukrainian government fears another ground assault uh, over winter uh, from the direction of Belarus of those conscripts. Now, how well trained and how well armed they will be at that point uh, is anyone's guess. Uh, but we can expect that a second ground invasion will not contain the mistakes of the first one, that Russia will provide more air cover if they are able to, uh, and that will substantially change, uh, change the change the game uh and and the weapons and and uh, equipment and training that we're sending in now is with that in mind uh to make it to to foil such a such an, a second wave of a ground invasion
1: uh, professor joel Ostro and i are huh? talking oh hang, hang on we got to get a break uh hey. we're talking about zelensky's speech to congress And the future of this war that is taking place on Ukrainian soil. We're going to continue this talk right after a break.
0: Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Information
14: is
1: power.
0: Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge.
1: I wake up. need to know
0: what happened. I
1: turn on the radio.
0: Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: And I'm speaking with Benedictine University political science professor Joel Ostro, uh, who wanted to make a couple of more points before we moved on in our discussion of Ukraine. Joel, take it away.
14: Oh, just one. Uh, so uh, I try sometimes not to repeat myself, uh, you know, whenever I'm on. Uh, but my sister texted in um, using and I'll, I'll eliminate the colorful language that characterizes all Ostro text messages to each other. <laughs> but she said uh Someone needs to take Putin out for this to end. Right. Um, And, uh, you know, my take on that is if that were going to happen, that would have happened back in April or so uh, when the fiasco and catastrophe of Russia's invasion for Russia's military became evident to the whole world and became evident to Russia itself. The grotesque miscalculation uh, by the Kremlin Uh, And all of those responsible uh, was evident by March, even mid-March, with that convoy stalled outside the Ukraine uh, outside of Kiev, as we all remember. Uh, That was the time for sort of a palace coup to have happened uh, and to have happened in a way that could have uh, spared uh, so many Ukrainian lives and Russian lives uh, and and the country of Ukraine uh, itself. Uh, from all of the the disastrous uh, damage that has happened. Uh, But I fear now that if something were to happen at the top, it would be someone even more crazed uh, for uh, something much more hellacious. Uh, And that's why, uh, to me, that for this to really end in terms of the war, uh, the way Putin would would exit matters, and a bottom-up is much more uh, hopeful at this point.
1: One of our listeners texted in a question, and I'm I am not sure what the quote from Lawrence Tribe was, but here's what they say. Please ask Professor Ostro about Um, Lawrence Tribe's idea of Ukraine getting the billions of dollars of Russian assets they're entitled to.
4: Well, I've often thought, uh, nothing, I'm not sure which assets uh, the
14: texture is is referring to. I'm
1: not sure um, either whether they're they're talking about what was frozen or just once this is over, what they deserve, yeah. Yeah.
14: Whatever, yeah, um, I'm all for some negotiated settlement later on that would include that. I would imagine um, for, I've been thinking, you know, what would, uh demand for Russian reparations uh, to Ukraine look like uh we should the world needs to be wary of that approach because that's of course the world war post-world War one approach towards Germany that ended up not working out so well for the world in the long run. so uh, that needs to be crafted carefully. but I would imagine some sort of future uh, export of any raw materials out of Russia. Uh, might might come with it. Uh, uh, those sales with some sort of uh, tariff that would go toward to Ukraine towards its rebuild. But um, but for sure, there there needs to be some approach in the future uh, that would uh, not only ease the burden on Ukraine, but but ease the burden on the rest of the world, which is bearing the burden now for protecting Ukraine. Uh, towards the rebuild and Russia's uh, certainly going to need uh, to carry a lot of that load. But let's put it, let's remember too, if we're Russia to triumph and, and succeed in, in taking over all of Ukraine, it's going to have to rebuild it anyway. So one, no matter how it comes out, Russia's going to be paying uh, to rebuild Ukraine.
1: Well, and that, that was, that kind of segues into what I wanted to ask you next, which is, what does the rest of the world do if it is apparent that Ukraine is losing this war? Yeah, you know, Adam so. Kinzinger said, and this was been a while ago at the at more yeah. toward the beginning of this conflict. Adam Kinzinger said mm-hmm. that while he hoped it wasn't going to happen, he thought it was very likely that at some point NATO would be called in to this conflict. What do we do if we see that Ukraine is losing?
14: Well, Representative Kinziger, for all of the positive uh, moves he has made regarding our treasonous former president, uh, has articulated many regrettable positions regarding uh united states support and, and, and western support for ukraine he has called for ukraine for neg- for imposed negotiation principles that would result in ukraine losing much of its territory um similar to what the president of france has articulated and my response to president macron is sure and and you're going to give up the south of france to who uh so um, Ukraine should not be no one should be telling Ukraine that it has to cede any of its territory um, and there have been calls from people like Kinziger, uh or Elon Musk or uh, Jerry Diamond from Chase and all those people need to keep their mouth shut as far as I'm concerned Kinziger at least has some <laughs> reason to understand politics uh, and, and foreign affairs uh, he is an elected official in the country after all um but but i think it's dead wrong in articulating those positions and those others certainly have no idea what they're talking about
1: okay well that's all well and good but again it takes us back to the question if we start to see that they are losing if it looks like russia is indeed going to either freeze Darn them out
14: i tried to avoid that question
1: yeah i know i know and i'm coming back to it i am not i'm like a dog with a bone here
14: It it, it is, that is such a gloomy scenario that that helps to understand uh, for those who might be doubting why are we sending so much aid now? Why are we continuing to send more now? And that's exactly the reason. Ukraine has the upper hand. This is uh, the need to preserve that upper hand uh, to prevent Russia from uh From again taking over more territory, to continue to push Russia out to keep it occupied and defending what it has, and to try to oust Russia from those territories that it has seized and to eliminate any hope that Russia might have of of claiming more so that's that's the reasoning behind it that's why more advanced and weapon systems are going, and larger quantities of munitions are going at this time. It's to prevent that scenario that that would be horrible and would would present NATO and the United States in particular with uh, very difficult questions.
1: You said Ukraine has the upper hand. Really? You think they have the upper hand in this conflict?
14: Just tactically, uh, over the last few months, Ukraine has has reclaimed more and more territory. Uh, and and Russia has been on its heels, has been retreating. Um, right now, it looks like there's more of a stalemate, um, particularly as Russia has has turned to uh, taking out uh, Ukraine's uh, electricity and, and power infrastructure. Uh, that was a that was a tactical change, and that's why the Patriot missiles are systems are going over now, and more surface to air missiles are are going over to try to help them to protect those critical uh infrastructure uh, facilities um but but tactically in terms of of where how the front line of of the battle has changed ukraine has been pushing russia back and and at this point it's more of a stalemate on that front on the, in that regard
1: well what about that that Troop massing and training in Belarus that you talked about. And if they if they do send uh, a massive numbers of ground troops in this winter, couldn't that couldn't that turn the tide?
14: Well, and I think that's partly why President Zelensky and his meetings with President Biden, uh, as he has been doing since the beginning of this conflict, has been asking for the most advanced tank systems uh, and armored personnel carriers and other weapon systems that uh, to now uh, the West has been loath to provide. And one reason that the other NATO members have been hesitant on providing some of those is the fear that, well, they could fall into Russia's hands were Russia to to win in, in any of those battles. Um, those are the kinds of uh, you know strategic calculations that our military and, and political leadership uh, have had to make, um, but if you just look at how things have gone since about April, um, we've been making the right decisions and what to provide and and have provided Ukraine with enough for it to be able to to turn the tide of of the war uh, and to evict the occupiers from so much of that territory. Whether we're talking about Kharkiv or uh, Kherson um, and across the whole eastern part of that front. Uh, so um, I do have a lot of hope that between the collaboration between our, our meaning U.S. and NATO intelligence services and, and military advisors and Ukraine's own intelligence and military that we'll be able to continue to, to stay ahead in that regard. Um, until that, until there's reason to believe we won't, uh, you know, we should, we should, trust that those decisions are being made well uh, because they have been up to now. Um, and, uh, and our intelligence has always been ahead of Ukraine's on Russia's troop movements. So um, if, that, if those warnings by Ukraine are accurate, um, the silence that we've heard from the American end sort of tells me that maybe it's right and maybe they are planning uh, how to repel that um time's going to tell, Joan, that it, it's hard to know some of these things. A lot of that, a lot of those discussions and a lot of that information, for obvious reasons, is, uh, remains secret.
1: Well, that's going to be a real problem because I was about to ask you to look into 2023 and <laughs> give us some kind of predictions or timeline. Um, you just don't think that's I mean, is this really is the whole situation so precarious that it could go one of uh, of several different ways?
14: I think there is a scenario. Uh, uh, I don't know how likely it is, but there is a scenario in which um, either Russia tries to send more troops in or, or, or to reinforce what it has. And Ukraine is able to make significant advances um, at the expense of uh, of Russian troops and Russian equipment. Um, and if that were to happen in a dramatic way, particularly over the winter, perhaps that could trigger uh, more of a popular uh, uh, response opposed to uh, continuation of this fiasco. Uh, that is a really rosy and hopeful scenario. <laughs> I don't know that it's that likely. Uh, but uh, but if we are going to hope, I think that is something uh, one could hope for.
1: OK, well, I, I, I feel I feel pretty this good is
14: going to grind on. the more <laughs> likely is this is going to grind on for a long time, Joan, that's the far when, more likely
1: because we will just keep supplying Ukraine and Russia will just continue to not give up. It's this is just yeah. like the new reality.
14: For the foreseeable future. Uh, That is quite possible.
1: Oh, joy. Um, Yeah. 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 Well, um, we I'm sure will be. uh, This is my last show of 2022. I'm sure we will be discussing this uh, shortly after I get back to work in January. Whatever uh, crisis has happened or been averted over the next few weeks Uh, Joel, uh, your participation in this show has been so, so very helpful. And I really want to thank you for everything that you have done to explain the situation to me and to all of our listeners.
14: Oh, my goodness, Joe. The the pleasure is mine. And and, uh, I look forward to speaking with you uh, after the new year. Have a a happy holidays and a wonderful new year.
1: You too. You too. We are going to take a break. I'm going to be back with just a a couple of last words right after this.
0: Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820.
2: You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter.
0: Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: Well, as I said before, this is my last show of 2022. I am going to be off next week. Matt usually sends me an email and lets me know who is uh, filling in every day of the week. But um I didn't get one of those, so all I can tell you for sure is that Thursday the twenty ninth, Eric Zorn will be here. Eric Zorn will be here holding down the fort. Um I will, however, remember this January second when most people are gonna be off that Monday, because of course New Year's Day is on a weekend. Um, I will be here doing a live show, uh, fresh, fresh show, fresh me, fresh guests. I will be here on Monday, January second, so please uh, tune in. Uh, I will uh, appreciate your calls and your thoughts on January second, as uh, I, I want to. I didn't get a chance to mention this too much again today. Also, want to make sure on your calendars. That you have Thursday, January 26th marked. Whether or not you can get downtown, we are going to be having a Merrill forum. It is going to be from noon to 1 p.m. Of course, it's going to be here on the radio. That goes without saying. Noon to 1, January 26th. All right, you got that marked down? And of uh, course... There is going to be a big election for mayor in February. It has been a delight to be here this last year. Yes, I know with the January 6th committee and everything going on in Ukraine, it has been insane. But I do believe, as I was talking with a caller earlier, I do believe that we have a lot To look back on 2022 and be proud of the fact that we stopped a red tsunami from happening. The fact that we not only held on to the U.S. Senate, but we actually went up a seat. The fact that even though Republicans took control of the House of Representatives, they did so by the slimmest of margins. The fact that in state after state across this country, every time the question of a woman's right to autonomy over her own body, every time it was put on the ballot, voters voted for it. The majority of the people in this country support a woman's right to make her own medical decisions without the government stepping in. And we came to vote to remind everyone of that. A lot of the states that were originally planning something to do with abortion, either, you know, can it get a, take away the protections in the state constitution or, or or take some kind of vote on, you know, enforcing. No. Each and every time. Each and every time in every state. The people came out and they said to the legislators, this is wrong. Don't do it. We want these protections. In 2023, I think we are going to see this movement continue to pick up steam. Especially as we see the Republican Party beginning to fracture. Remember, there were. Republicans for years that were pro-choice. There were Republicans who were pro-voting rights. It is only when the people in the middle got scared of the MAGAs that they either went silent or voted against their own beliefs. We are seeing perhaps the beginning of a situation where those people are finding their courage. They are going to try to moderate the more radical factions in their party. Chuck Percy, one of Illinois' favorite sons. Can you imagine Chuck Percy being a Republican today? Hell, Mark Kirk was so moderate compared to the MAGA Republicans of today, that he looks more like a Democrat than a Republican. Women fought for their right for bodily autonomy once. We are more than capable of fighting for it again. We will fight as many places and as many times as it takes to get this power back. It is just one of the things that I think is going to continue to make us proud in 2023. I think while, you know, we still, you know, we still have a lot of QAnons out there. We still have a lot of diehard magas. I think we see the light at the end of the tunnel. And no, no, the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train coming at us. Not this time, folks. It is the belief that the majority of us can take back our country. Yeah, maybe we sat around a little too long. Maybe we took our eye off the ball. We still have a problem with the Supreme Court that's got to be fixed one way or the other. But I really do believe that the, the worst of the insanity, there will, there will be eruptions here and there. There absolutely will be. This insanity, the QAnons, the Magites, they're not going to go quietly into that good night. No, they are not. But I believe the eruptions will be fewer and farther between. And when that happens, the people who were scared of them, maybe, just maybe, will stop being scared of them. And maybe, maybe, they will help us right this ship. I really think 2023 is going to be a better year than 2022, and 2022 had a lot of good in it, a lot of good in it. We just can't sit back and take it easy. Tom Hartman, democracy is not a spectator sport. He couldn't be more right. It's taken some of us, maybe me, longer to learn that than others. But I think we've all learned that by now we've got to vote we've got to pay attention and after we vote people into office we've got to keep an eye on them and make sure they do not go astray all things that we are more than capable of doing we've done harder things before so have a great holiday however you celebrate it have a wonderful new year celebration stay warm stay safe We're going to have a great 2023, and I sure hope you're along with me for the ride. Thanks to Lady B. Thanks to Paul Shavari. Thanks to Andy Miles. Thanks to Patty Vasquez and Santita Jackson, all the people, Matt Cummings, Tim Hogan, Mark Pinsky, who make this work possible. I'll see you next year. Have a great evening, a great weekend, a great year. Good night.